Welcome to the Egg Gap Evolution Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah Phillips. You can call me Mariah because that's my name. And I'm thrilled to have you on this journey with me and all of the spectacular guests who jump on the podcast to give you more options for educating children so that children have more options for building a magnificent future. The Egg Gap Evolution Podcast is a digital community where parents, educators, and innovators drop the details on how they are using their lives to help children explore the vastness of education beyond the textbook so that we can close America's education gap together. And just in case you didn't get the memo, producing a podcast is a whole lot of work. We're talking schedule coordination, production, the list goes on and on. So in return for bringing you this show every week, we just ask that you always find a way to share and use what you learn on the podcast to enrich children and families everywhere. Alrighty, without further ado, come along with me to meet our very next guest. Today, we are talking to T. Takapu. She is the owner and founder of Club Lab Rascals, which is a science, technology, engineering, and math club for kids that's diversifying the field of STEM, which we'll get into in a minute. But what most people don't know is that she's also a 19, I think 19 plus year United States Air Force veteran, one of my overall favorite people who is kind enough to join us on the podcast today. So T, how are you? Hi, Mariah, and thank you for that um, amazing introduction. And you are also one of my favorite people. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's all true. So, um, and T and I have been lucky enough to be working together over the past year for marketing. So there's just so much goodness going on in between us. And I would love for listeners to learn more about you. So could you tell us more about yourself, where you're from, that sort of thing? Well, you're definitely absolutely correct. I am active duty Air Force. I am still in the Air Force. I actually just hit my 19 year mark uh, on April 23rd. So, yay, congrats. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan, um, inner city, not the suburbs. So, definitely. Um, Detroit, Detroit. Yes, Detroit, Detroit. East side, seven mile. <laughs> So yes, that's where I'm from, and but I've been away from home for quite a few times as I've traveled around the world with the Air Force. Oh, awesome! Do you have a favorite place? Like, is is Detroit still your favorite place, or did you have a favorite um home in your oh, traveling? Oh, sure. Washington D.C. is my favorite place. <laughs> uh, we've been assigned here since uh, 2010, and we just really love it. Like I just love everything about DC, especially all the black excellence I see, black and brown excellence. So I yes. love Yes. Yes. I'm right up the street in Baltimore, as you know, and there is so much black and brown excellence and it's wonderful. So who's we? You mean you and your husband like simultaneously got stationed? Yes. So um, me and my husband met in the Air Force. Um, I was his boss, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we met in the Air Force and right. Um, he, he, got out before we moved here. So he just did six years in the Air Force and he got out in 2010. Um, I got assigned here um, in DC to go to school to get my bachelor's degree. Um, My husband started going to school full time. So it was just me and him until our first child was born in 2014. So um, and we've just traveled. (laughs) We've just been stationed in the DC area. I think we've um, changed bases like six times but we continue to get assigned in the dc area <laughs> wow i mean so clearly it's supposed to be there <laughs> um, yes, here. 
Yeah, it's good. So let's rewind a little bit back to T and Detroit, young T. When you were a child, um, you know, what folks will come to know at some point is that the amount of the emphasis that Club Lab Rascals, your company, places on fun and education and making sure that kids learn in some of the best ways possible. So I'm wondering, when you were a child, how much value did your family and community place on education? What what was your experience with education um, in K through five? Um, K through five. I mean, my mom was a teenage mother. Um, she did it by herself. So my mom was 19. So we kind of grew up together. Um, so my mom, I mean, I, I think she cared about education, but I just think she did the best she knew how. So um, she ensured I went to school and, you know, did my work. But I was always a student that liked going to school. Um, I was never the child that like would make excuses or say I'm sick. Like I actually enjoyed going to school. So um, I liked school. Um, I've never really been even a child into high school. I didn't even skip school. I was not that child. Like, so if I said I was sick, my mom knew I was really sick because I actually liked school. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Was there anything like what was that thing that made you like it so much? Was it the learning? Was it the people? Um, I don't know. I think I was just I've always kind of um, excelled at school. And I've always just been really curious. I was the curious kid. I'm the kid that, you know, you know, you see the commercials and the kid asks why 10 times that was me. Like, why this? Why that? Why this? And I will always like do little stuff. Like my mom still remembers um, one time when I was in elementary school and you got to think this is the eighties. <laughs> and I wanted to make a camera. That's when Polaroid cameras were like the deal. Right. Yeah. And if you were balling, you had a Polaroid camera. <laughs> that was- you, get to- <laughs> you get to see the pictures right away. And I had took a shoebox and I drew all these pictures and I remember putting like a hole in it and putting like a toilet paper roll to be my lens. And I basically made my own camera. And then basically I would take a picture and it would just be a picture that I drew from the inside. Oh, my God. That is so funny slash creative slash fantastic. And it's so similar to what you have kids doing today in Club Lab Rascals, you know, as far as making those things hands on. That's so funny how life can be full circle. It, it totally is. It totally is. So like my mom always brings that up and I never even saw the relation to Lab Rascals until my mom brought it up. She was like, you've been taking stuff from around the house and building stuff since you was a child. <laughs> that is so funny. You you were like, this is, I know what picture you thought was taken, but this is the picture you get in a day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. I'm like, okay, look, it's a rainbow. And they're like, it's snowing. I'm like, no, it's not. It's totally a rainbow. <laughs> it's a rainbow. And hang this in your living room. Thanks. Bye. Um, <laughs> so did you have a favorite subject in particular? Actually, in elementary school, my favorite subject was English. Oh, cool. You know, that's my favorite. Okay. Um, English. So what was it? Do you remember like any stories that you wrote that were like, you know, that stick with you to this day? I don't remember the stories, but I remember I'll never forget the teacher. Um, So being in Detroit at the time, Detroit is majority majority, um, black. So you know, my school was pretty much all black. And then we had a couple of Laos um, kids. <clears throat> and that was kind of pretty much the demographic of our school. Um, and I definitely had black teachers, but I never had a male teacher, especially a black male teacher into fifth grade. 
And that was my English teacher, Mr. Harris. And he just, he was very strict, but he just really um, got me into writing. I just remember he taught us how to write a paragraph. And I was just like really excited that I knew how to write like an intro (laughs) and a conclusion and my three, you know, sentences. Um, And then it just kind of made me really enjoy writing. But it's just like he made me, he just really made me feel smart. Like he would constantly tell me um, how intelligent I was and how great of a writer I was. So it just kind of that encouragement makes you kind of want to do better. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like in any way he or any other teacher um, that you had or admire has influenced the way you view the world today or view yourself today? And if so, how so? Um, Definitely. I feel like Mr. Harris, because I feel like, you know, my fifth grade teacher at Wilkins Elementary School, (laughs) but um, he, he kind of just gave me that encouragement and just made me feel like a lot of times, like when people make you feel smart, then you kind of take it on. Like you start believing and like, oh, I am smart. So you become smart. Um, And then in high school, um, I had a teacher, um, Miss Collins or Miss Robinson or Miss Green. She had a couple of name changes while we were in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Live your life. (laughs) Yes. Um, But she was my honors um, English teacher. Um, And I had her the entire time because it was honors English. So she was able to keep us from ninth grade to 12th grade. And as I went through like personal struggles, she became like more of almost like a friend mentor. And it's like when you're young, you don't really you don't even understand how young these teachers are. Like she was probably like 23, 24 years old. But me being, you know, 14, 15 up until age 17, that just seemed really old to me. But yeah. in my side, I'm like, oh, that's why we were like friends. We were kind of like <laughs> the same age, you <laughs> a know, couple years um, apart. <laughs> yeah, but it was, she was just it was kind of like a safe place for me. Like if I was getting in trouble in school, she was always the one. You know, I could tell her about anything going on in my life, whether it was personal or school wise, and she was just always there supporting me, believing in me, and just she just always believed in me. Um, so. She was just really one of the most impactful um, educators that I had in my life, especially to have her for four years. That's so awesome. And I think that really also speaks to how important it is to have educators of all ages, because I know that sometimes people can say, well, you know, 21, 22, what are you going to do with a kid? And it's like, well, you know, one, you can educate them in the traditional way. And also there's someone who really is closer to understanding the stage of life that the child is in, especially if we're talking about high schoolers, you know, of course there's space for the wisdom of folks who are much, much older. That's awesome. But there's also space for teachers and educators who can say, Hey, I was you five, four years ago and I get what you're going through. So absolutely, yeah. So that's really awesome. Um, so we talked about, you know, getting a little older, moving to high school, things like that. Um, so did you have a dream job coming out of high school, something you wanted to do that you were just like, I know this is what I'm going to do. And did you end up doing that? So it's funny. So in elementary school, I, they always say like your true passion is what you wanted to be in second grade. And in elementary school, I wanted to be a teacher. Like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a teacher. And I remember when I got to like middle school or high school, um, I'm a Capricorn. So we are, we, we are, I've always been about money since I was a child. <laughs> like even as a very young child, I was definitely financially savvy. I'm the kid that saved off her, all her birthday money. And 
if my mom kept some change when she bought something, I'm like, uh-uh, you, I have $13.17 left from my birthday money. <laughs> so, Hand so, it over. <laughs> exactly. So I remember my grandfather telling me, like, you don't want to be no teacher. They don't make no money. And once he told me that, I never wanted to be a teacher again. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. He like it was it was just that one conversation. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be a teacher. So those dreams just went down the wash. And then I decided I want to be an engineer. Um, so uh, I really wanted to be an engineer, but I had no idea what that really entailed. I just knew that they made money and they build stuff. So it was really about like, I want to make a lot of money. Yeah, so like that was good enough for you. Exactly. Especially for, since I'm from the Motor City and most of the people that, you know, we looked at as successful, like the, in our community, like in my community, if your parents worked at Chrysler GM or Ford, um, y'all were the people that had money. Like y'all made it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, that is Detroit. So, you know, um, being that we have the manufacturing plants, there were, you know, engineering jobs there. But I just at the time did not know that I didn't have the skill sets to go into those fields because I wasn't really building that foundation. So it was like something I was saying in high school. But I really even when I went to community college right after high school, um, I found out real quick how far behind I was when it came to education. So is that what it what motivated you to join the military? The fact that you still had that dream of becoming an engineer or was it something else? I wish I could say that, but no. <laughs> um, I signed up for the Air Force when I was in high school. Um, my mom's ex-husband, he was a, um, in the Air Force and he was a chief in the Air Force, which was the highest enlisted rank you could go. And it was just looking at his life and looking at the things he accomplished and he just had stability. Um, and I was like, I want to do, I want to be like you. So I signed up in high school and then, you know, I changed my mind. I was like, I'm not going, you know, I want to be fast with my friends, you know, <laughs> I don't want to leave uh, the city. So I didn't go. Um, and then I literally between age 17 and 20, I worked at least 20 jobs. Like I was always, I, I never had a, a gap in, um, I've never had a gap in employment since I was 13 years old. I've worked since I was 13 years old. Wow. Um, and I just was, I feel like I was on a treadmill. That's that's how I look at it. Like I was, I, I remember at one point um, I was working at a dentist office from eight to five as a dental assistant. It was in a shopping plaza and next door was a radio shock. I worked at Radio Shack from five to nine, um, probably like four or five days a week. And then I also was in community college and then I would waitress on weekends and I was still broke. Like I was working, working, catching a bus. I didn't have a car. And at one point, um, my best friend's grandmother worked down the street. And since I didn't have a car, she worked, but she had to be to work at five in the morning. And it was, it was so cold. So I would get up, I would spend a night at their house. I would get up, um, go um, to work with her and sleep in her car to about seven, seven thirty, it's freezing cold. Like sometimes she would be like, just turn on the car, but I would feel guilty because I didn't want to like run up her gas. She worked yeah. at um she worked at Meyer, which is a grocery store there. And then I will walk the mile away to my job in the cold. In the <laughs> so I just like I just talk about like, a hustle. Yeah, it was just like, but I wasn't getting anywhere. So I'm like working this hard doing all this. But I'm still, you know, dodging the landlord on the first. <laughs> so I was like, literally one day I was with my best friend 
And I was like, I'm about to flip this coin. And if it land on heads, I'm going to the Air Force. Wow. And I I did it. <laughs> and nobody believed me because they're like, you said this in high school. You signed up. You told everyone you were going. You're not going to go. And that was January of 20, um, 2002. And I was gone to basic training in April of 2002. So I really did it. It was just like, I wanted change. I wanted structure. I wanted stability. Wow. I had no idea about this party of story. Why is this not a movie? If anybody who makes films hears this, please give her a call. Um, this is wow. I mean, one for one, I can definitely identify with that hustle, hustle, hustle and feeling like you're not getting anywhere. And I think and that's what's so exciting. And again, we'll talk about in a minute about what you're doing for and with children is you're you're helping because I was in that same position. I'm from Baltimore City. And out of high school and, you know, even through the first couple of years of college, I had millions of like people would literally laugh and be like, no, Mariah can't come. She's working um, of jobs. And it was still financially tough. And so um, that's just very interesting how that story is one of many um, and how you how you really just flip, literally flip that into the life that you have now, you know, a life that I, that you feel more is aligned with what you wanted. Um, and so, you know, talking about the life that you have now, let's talk about your family. So um, we mentioned that you're married and you and your husband are, have been stationed around the D.C. area. Um, so and you have two beautiful, the cutest sons. So did you always plan to have children? Yes, I always wanted kids. Um, it's just something I feel like I was kind of I mean, that's all I knew. I just I always loved kids. So. Um, I was always the godmama, the cousin, but kids never like kids love me, but they always treated me like I was one of the kids. <laughs> yeah. So like the the things my little cousins and stuff, but I was the cousin that would like go get all the kids and y'all spend a night with me or I would take them somewhere. So I was always kind of like the fun cousin or the fun friend that would get your that would babysit your kids and stuff like that. So, so I definitely wanted kids. Yeah, so T was the 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 what do you call it? I'm basically the built in babysitter whenever there was an event <laughs> or something definitely, like that. Definitely, if I wasn't if I wasn't out in these streets. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's awesome. Um, and but you know, you have live your life. You guys, this is a message. You can live your life and you can care about children and take care of them. Definitely. definitely. Um. So, I mean. Now, when I when I thought about this question, I did not know your story about how much you hustled, you know, prior to joining the military. So now this totally makes sense to me, but I'd still like to talk about it on top of your responsibilities as a professional, a wife, you know, mom and so many other titles. What made you say, hey, I think I'll also start my own company? Um, That's an interesting thing. I never really was like, I'm going to start my own company. Like I never was like, I want to start a business. That's, it just didn't happen that way. It wasn't like I sat down and was like, oh, I want to start a business. This is the business I'm going to start. Now I have done that in the past. Um, but a lot of times, like I would say this is probably one of the few decisions in my life that I made that wasn't based off money. So back in the day, uh, my husband will laugh because I remember one time I was going to be a massage therapist. I was going to be a lawyer. I was going to be a boutique owner. <laughs> So I have like started and not finished so many things and he supported me through all of my crazy ideas. And then this is the first time that I didn't even think about money. I wasn't even like, I didn't have a plan. 
it just came out of um, kind of a need, a resource that I felt was needed and not in my life and in my community. So I never really thought that Lab Rascals would be what it is today um, and it's continuing to to pivot and grow. But I didn't really say, you know what, I'm going to take on something else. Um, it didn't happen that way. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So um, that's, that's really interesting because, you know, isn't that what, what, um, business, you know, the businesses that work do anyway, they find or identify a problem, they fill the gap with the, you know, with the solution. And, um, usually if things go right, <laughs> it takes off and becomes something. Um, and so what, um, could you talk to us about what Club Black Rascals is? You know, of course I know, but and and how it got started because your story is extremely interesting. I know you share some of it on your website, but I'd love for you to tell folks, you know, from your mouth exactly how your business got started. So just to give a little a little background to me, I think it all really aligned because like I said, I wanted to be a teacher at a point. And once I joined the Air Force, I've always tutored um, local kids. So every assignment that I've ever had, I've tutored kids in a community, usually elementary school kids. Um, so I even did it in Japan. I did it in Florida. I did it in D.C. So I will always seek out opportunities to work with kids and to really um, help them when it comes to education, because I just felt like I had a lot of potential as a child. Um, but I just wasn't provided the resources that I think would have helped me be truly, truly. I feel like I could have done so much more, um, but I just didn't have the resources. So I always wanted to find those kids that just, you know, didn't probably have the resources and just build their confidence at a young age. Just let them know, like, so I would tutor kids a lot of times that were behind, Um to get them caught up because what you what you learn when you're tutoring is that education is based a lot off of confidence. It's not even off of unless you have a learning disability, we all can learn anything. Yeah. So if you can build a kid's confidence, you can they can you can make them believe they can do anything, then they really can. Yeah. So I'm always kind of really focused on that when anytime I talk to kids, I love like boosting them up. You know, so I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so smart. I didn't even, how, how are you smart, this smart? I was not like this at this age. And they just light up. They love it. Um, so that kind of, I feel like that was always in me, but I just didn't know it in that way because I was just doing it. So I didn't kind of know that it was going to come full circle, like you said. Um, and when I um, had kids, you know, my husband is an electrical engineer and then I do cybersecurity in Air Force. So we're both really in tech. I have my master's in IT. So it's like, we really understand tech. And um, as our kids got older, of course, we wanted to introduce them early. So when my sons were like two and four, they really got into space. They were like super into it. And we just started like, okay, whatever they're into, we're just going to dive into it. So we started buying, um, we would, um, get library books on space. We would go to the Air and Space Museum. We would go to NASA Goddard. Like we were just trying to delve as deep into it. Let's go to Planetarium. So we just really was really um, helping them be more curious about something they were already interested in. And when we noticed just how much they knew about space in such a short period of time at very young ages, 
we were like, whoa, I didn't even know a kid was capable of knowing this much. You know, they definitely knew way more about it than us. That's awesome. But then we were just like, okay, what else can we put them in? So as we're looking for other activities, I was constantly in my car going to Northern Virginia, going, you know, far away from my community. And I'm like, why, why do I have to go this far to do just a, you know, a hands-on, go to a hands-on science center? Why do I have to go this far? Why do I have to go to Northern Virginia or, you know, all the way down into DC, you know? Um, So I was like, I'm just going to start doing it myself in my house. So I just, I just got on Evite and I just called it STEM Saturday. This was um, January of 2018. And I just, my kids were in daycare at the time or preschool, preschool. Um, So I just invited, you know, the parents in their class, like, hey, I'm doing this STEM Saturday thing. If your kids want to come, you know, I have friends in the community. So the people that had kids around my age, I invited them. So I just started doing it every month. And then it just got like a lot of kids were coming. Like at one point it's like 20 kids in my living room. Good thing I didn't have furniture. So, <laughs> so, so we would just do, you know, random activities. And at the time it was just about having fun. I really wasn't focused on structure. And then um, I graduated in um, 2019 with my master's degree. And when I graduated, it kind of like going through my master's program, it just kind of made me look at, you know, the business about it. Cause the goal was just to get out of my living room. Like that was the goal. Like, yeah. um, can I go to a community center or the library? But then I started really researching, like, why is it that the U S is behind and, you know, why is our STEM pipeline behind? Why are other countries, why do they have a better education system? So I really started looking at it from a research perspective. Um, And then I kind of figured like, okay, this is the issue. When you look at programs, a lot of them are focused on middle school and high school students. So that's one issue that you have to start younger. And then the other issue is when I will look at a lot of the STEM programs, it would, they would, you know, they are doing chemistry today. They doing engineering tomorrow. So it was just very random and it was getting them interested, but they're not going to retain it that way. Yeah, And then there was just not a lot of representation. Even when my kids were in programs, a lot of times they would be, you know, one of the very few kids of color in the program. So based on that, that's how I developed Lab Rascals to be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to focus on one thing and build upon that. You know, we're going to look at the next generation science standards, which is, you know, um, the newest science standard in the U.S. and it's, based off of research and they, they believe in inquiry based learning. So they're actually, you know, doing stuff and building stuff and having it be hands on versus memorization, which a lot of um, us schools based stuff on like, can you memorize this versus can you solve this problem? Um, And then we just approached my son's elementary school. He was in kindergarten at the time. This is January, 2020. And I said, you know, I have this program. I would love to pilot it at your school. Um, Can I pilot it with your kindergarten and first graders? I believe that, you know, we can group kids together. They don't have to be separated into these grades. They learn better this way. And they said, yes. Wow. That was how officially Lab Rascals began. That's when it wasn't STEM Saturdays anymore. It was Lab Rascals. 
Wow, that's awesome. Do you remember the first activity that you all um, did in the school? Yes. So so the first subject is so funny. So the first subject that I taught kindergartners and first graders was um, physics. So you weren't playing. <laughs> yes. So we said was, advanced. Um, <laughs> we focused on um, forces in motion. So the whole eight eight labs were going to be about like the different types of force, which are pushing, pulling, gravity, acceleration, friction, you know, um, magnetism. So each lab was focused on, you know, a different force. But the very first one was kind of like we had these stations. So it was a station for each type of force. So they would like I had a song playing and it was like a buzzer. So they would <laughs> it was almost like a musical chairs for Sim. Oh my so god. Every, That's so time, cool. every time the music stopped, they had they would go to another section. Um, and it was pretty crazy. You had 20, you know, five to seven year olds running around. So it was it was pretty hectic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That sounds so much fun. I mean, hey, what what better way to jump right in than with a hectic musical chess slash physics lesson? Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned that, you know, Club Lab Rascals really got its legs in January of 2020. And it's no news to all of us that a couple months later, COVID-19 hit. And so what you you ended up having to pivot from being in the classroom with those students, you had just gotten started with them to operating online. So, um, and, uh, you know, I was fortunate to be there for a lot of the the journey. I'm sure it was not easy, you know, on you at all, but what, but you did it successfully and what went into successfully making that pivot from operating in schools to online and how did you feel throughout the process? Um, so I think that's one of the things about my personality. I don't really take a, a lot of time to, um, analyze stuff and be like, or even kind of like, be like, oh my gosh, this just happened. I'm just like, it's a problem. Where's the solution? So I'm just so solutions focused. So um, I remember, I'll never forget. We were at Lab Rascals. We were doing Lab Rascals when we found out that schools were closing. So as parents were picking their kids up, I was telling them like, you know, the last day of school is tomorrow. The schools are closing. Um, And the parents were just like, what? So everyone's getting on their phone, looking it up. It was March, March 13th, <laughs> 2020. Um, and we were scheduled to go on spring break uh, the week of April 5th. So it was about two weeks before spring break. So I, at the time, I was one of those people. I was like, okay, we'll be back in school by spring break, or maybe we'll be back the week after spring break. So I just didn't understand the the magnitude at the time. <laughs> I don't think anybody did. I surely didn't. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to give kudos to um, my son's elementary school in Prince George's County Public Schools. It's called Overlook. It's a full Spanish immersion school. And they pivoted so fast. Like my son was on Zoom the next week. Like, wow. I I have so many friends who live in like these sought after school districts where they're paying like, you know, they just live in like a a very prestigious area and their kids go to these very prestigious schools, even private schools. And they didn't have anything until like May, June. And like they pivoted so fast. So I had never seen kids on Zoom before. But when I see my son who's in kindergarten doing Zoom lessons, it kind of sparked the idea like, well, 
I can just finish out. We had like two more labs to do. I was like, I'm just going to finish it out on Zoom. Um, and I remember, you know, reaching out to the parents because um, we would communicate um, all the kids that were registered. They we would communicate in group me. So I sent them the Zoom link um, and we we got on there and it was definitely a, it was not good. <laughs> like it was like I was it was just not great. But I had all their pictures and I had them presenting. You know, they all had to kind of identify a different type of force. We had drew the pictures the last day of school and I had all the pictures. I still have the pictures. Um and they kind of drew like what gravity is, what friction is, and you know what acceleration is. So um, when it was their turn, they would kind of, you know, say, "Okay, this is my picture. This is what I drew." But one thing you learn is that you cannot have kids that age sit and listen to you know nineteen other kids because <laughs> they're going to be so bored. Um, so we finished that out. And then I was like, I'm going to try to do a spring break camp because obviously we're not going back to school. So parents need something to do. So I was like, I'm just going to put something together and it's going to be the whole week. We're going to meet every day for five days. And I was like, I hope 10 people sign up. I never forget. I was like, if 10 people sign up, I'm going to be so excited. 40 people signed up. (laughs) (laughs) And then we went from being, you know, this, pilot program and this one school with these two grades to immediately be in a national program. Wow. I remember that first camp, we had people in Michigan, California, Hawaii, um, Georgia. Like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, how did y'all even know about us? <laughs> wow, that is amazing. Um, and then it just, from there, it just has only went up since that day, since you know, that first camp in April of 2020. That is awesome. And I mean, it's just, it just speaks to the fact that this is a need, you know, it's 40 people. No, they didn't know you. Not everybody knew you, but that we, you were going through, everybody was going through such a rough time and during COVID and during that pivot, even before then, the state of education when it comes to STEM, especially in, um, in communities of color was just, I mean, the the services were almost non-existent. And so you bought this to the world. You were like, hey, I'm just going to you know, see wh- where it goes. And for any entrepreneurs out there, um, if you're listening to this or if you're thinking about starting something, whether it's going to be a, a monetized business or something you do on the side, I hope that this story brings you some encouragement that when you go with what is supposed to happen, great things that you didn't expect greater things can happen and um speaking to the mission of club lab rascals um i know that a big passion for you based off of our working relationship is that and based off what you said is that um the field of stem is diversified um and is is the emphasis on diversity um that you prioritize with Club Lab Rascals, do you believe that that's what sets the company apart or is it that and and other things? And if so, what are those other things? Um, I would say the first thing that sets us apart from is is the quality. Like we are very high quality. The things that we teach kids, like as you can see, like most people are not going to get kindergartners and first graders and tell them about um, Newton's law of motion. Like I was comfortable telling them about Newton's law of motion because I'm going to break it down in a way that they can understand it. Right. So I'm going to simplify it. 
Um, so I think our quality is definitely number one. Um, I definitely think because 90% of our campers are uh, kids of color, I think that they enjoy how we bring diversity um, to our program. And when I say that, they're represented in every way in our program. We have avatars that we put in our presentations and our worksheets that kids are like, they will point to the kid and say, it's them, like a little black girl is like, oh, you know, me, I'm, I'm, I'm the scientist. <laughs> and it's because we have representation of kind of the rascals that are signed up and just representation that you typically don't see in mainstream. And I think um, parents appreciate it first. And I don't think kids articulated the same, but they notice. Um, you'll hear kids um, tell their parents like, oh my gosh, I got on there and it was all these other black kids. And they just, you know, they're not used to being in an environment, especially when it's kind of like a supplemental educational thing where they're the majority and they kind of enjoy it and they notice it. And we don't even, we don't really bring it up in camp. We don't say anything about it. They just see it and they just experience it and they like it. Yeah. I mean, you know, kids, kids are humans. And I think that's what a lot of we always have to remember is that they see what's here and what's not here, too. You know, they see these things and um, you don't have to explain when you know you don't have to explain everything. Some things you notice it and some things you don't. And I think that really speaks to how special, um, you know, that element of of your your business is. Um, and so let's talk more about diversity in the STEM field. Um, you and your husband are in STEM professions. I know that you mentioned a lot of the parents of the kids, um, who attend the camp. Some of them are are STEM professionals. And so can you speak to the lack of diversity in the STEM field? Um, the, the, the stats are there, you know, this is no one's opinion. (laughs) The stats are there. There's no, the the diversity is low, but why should anyone care that the diversity is low? I mean, sometimes the argument is that, Hey, if the work's getting done, it's getting done. There are plenty of people who can do it. Why should we care whether or not the STEM field is diverse? Um, I definitely think the importance of the STEM field being diverse is not only a, it's important to America, You know, if you want our economy to remain one of the best economies, you want us to remain um, creating the biggest businesses that everyone is using, then you're going to have to have the the best and the brightest. Right. So if you want to us to continue to have people to hire, let's just say if you're an entrepreneur and you're going to be the next uh, Mark Zuckerberg, who are you going to hire if if and it's not just the diversity is like the U S in general is going away from, from STEM. A lot of people are not going into the STEM field and those numbers are even smaller um, in, in the minority groups and many of us minorities that are in STEM, you know, oftentimes we are the only ones in the room and um, it's just not, it's not a, the, the best feeling to constantly be the only person in the room to possibly have to code switch to, you know, try to assimilate to um, environments versus, you know, creating our own environments, creating our own tables versus constantly asking for a seat at the table. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I I love the point that you brought up as well as this is a national issue, you know, a bit of a national crisis. Um, Of course, diversity is a, a, a huge part of that. But in general, 
America, it, you, the stats say, you know, America is behind in that way. And, you know, and I've seen the inside of a lot of the things that you do. And it is a very diverse space. And um, I really, I mean, folks, I just hope that you get to go and check out this company because the what is happening here is is just it's <laughs> it really is a part of the evolution and it is a part of the future. And, um, you know, it's just awesome. I could go on all day. Um, but some people listening might not necessarily know what STEM skills are or what STEM, you know, I, I mentioned that as science, tech, engineering, math, or what STEM is, but why is having STEM skills so crucial for kids? You know, kids could be doing a lot of things and, um, you know, there are lots of ways to learn, but why are STEM skills so crucial for kids to have nowadays? Um, and, you know, not just nowadays, but in the past as well. Um, I could be, because really, um, first, it's the, the number one growing career field in the world and the biggest job creation is in the STEM field. But as well as it's very broad, like there, I can't think of any industry that you would be in that is not going to involve some level of STEM, like no matter what industry it is. So it's very broad, no matter what you want to do, um, being a problem solver, because the biggest part of STEM is being a critical thinker and being able to solve problems. And, you know, as the human race, that's what we want to do. We want to continue to make the world better than it was when we got here. We want to leave it better. And the way we do that is by continuing to solve um, some of our biggest um, problems. And that's through, you know, using science, technology, um, engineering, and mathematics. So we had a a STEM professional, a, a uh, an engineer. Uh, her name is uh, Latina Engineer on Instagram. Um, and she is a designer. She's into design. <laughs> and she's like, even fashion, you know, she's like, no matter what industry, if it's, if you're into cosmetics, if you're into makeup, if you're into fashion, if you're into interior design, all of that encompasses STEM. So these are fields that people don't typically um, come to the forefront of their mind when they're thinking about STEM. But all of those um, fields are also impacted by STEM. Even cooking is chemistry. Yeah. It's just like it touches every facet of our life. So no matter what you do, if you have this foundation, it's going to propel whatever you do into the next level. Absolutely. And I mean, I know um, I used to be a, a, a almost full time makeup artist. I also had a full time job and then I um, was a makeup artist. And all of us, you know, we did um, TV production makeup and every makeup artist who is successful knows that it is 100 percent chemistry. You know yes. how you mix the how you mix the colors, the waters versus the silicones versus the all of that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, STEM is it's crucial. Um I wonder what's your favorite part about running Club Lab Rascals? Oh, absolutely. The kids, um, the kids like so I think a lot of businesses that target kids, they market to parents um, because, you know, parents, they want their kids to be uh, super achievers. They want them to, you know, be the best of the best. Um, I market to kids. So even during the program, like my biggest fear is a bored kid. You know, so if I can get the parent on board, that's great. But my my goal is always to have rascals that, you know, they can't wait to come to Lab Rascals. They can't wait to log on and do the projects. They can't wait to after the projects to continue the learning. They're on YouTube watching 
videos about whatever the subject is. They're coming back to the lab, giving us information. They're going to school. (laughs) We actually had schools contact us because the kids that are in our program would come back to school constantly talking about lab rascals. And every time they would, you know, even browse a subject at school, they're like, like, we just finished genetics camp and one of our um, rascals in California, you know, they just started talking about traits in school. And she was like, oh, I learned all about that in lab rascals. And we made a model DNA and we extracted our own DNA. (laughs) And they were like, what is this lab rascal? So um, we've definitely had people contact club lab rascals. Um, from schools, like, okay, this this sounds amazing. How can, how can we get this program in our school? And that's definitely the route we want to go so that more kids can have access to our program. That's awesome. And it's so interesting that you mentioned um, that you prioritize marketing to children, because sometimes that can be a demographic that a lot of companies, whether it be food companies, you know, um, STEM companies, what have you, even clothing companies might overlook. Kids are, the best thing about kids is they, na- like, they will, they will bother their parent or that teacher or whoever until something happens. And so I even know I have a six-year-old niece and she'll look at, you know, while she's watching YouTube, if there's an ad that apparently comes up, she will tell us about that thing a million times over until we go to the website and we're like, what is this thing? And so I think that that is so cool that you prioritize marketing to children because they're the ones who need this service and who this service is benefiting. Um, So um, how important has family and friend support been to your journey as a first time business owner? You mentioned that your husband, through all of your iterations of being um, or, you know, going after being a business owner before he supported you. So was he the only one who supported you? Were there other folks? Um, no, like when I say I have the most amazing network ever, um, I feel like everyone supports me. <laughs> um, I don't even have people um, in my circle that don't support me. And it's different ways. Some people support me just through, you know, uh, helping build my confidence on the days that it's hard. Um, I have so many friends that have signed their kids up, um, people that share our posts, um, people that tell their schools about us. Um, it's just, we haven't had, I haven't had anyone in my circle not support, but I would say my biggest, biggest supporters are one, my husband. Um, I mean, like he is so down for me. (laughs) Like I came in and like, I want to do this. And he immediately took money out of our account. Like he didn't even tell me, he just told me like, Hey, I just put this in your account so you can, um, fund lab rascals. And then when I needed more revenue and I was looking for a loan, we had a conversation and he was like, no, We'll sell stocks if we have to. You're you're going to push forward. Um, so he's like my biggest supporter. Um, my mom, <laughs> because she thinks like she has the best daughter in the world, so she's going to brag about me. Whether I just colored, whether I just made a Polaroid camera <laughs> as a kid, or you know whatever I'm doing. And then I have a tribe of um, friends um, that just women friends, like my Air Force friends, my friends from Detroit, people that I've met on my journey, even people I've met online through Lab Rascals, um, parents, the homeschool community. Um, So we just have so many, so many supporters. Um, And then um, my my little interns, (laughs) my children, um, they definitely 
uh, keep me going. Um, I remember it's always this guilt because I work full time and I do lab rascals. And like you said, I'm a wife and a mom. So a lot of times when my, my kids are coming to me and they, they want something and I'm constantly like, no, 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 um, I have to work. I have to work. Um, so it could be pretty um, sad when I'm feeling like, you know, am I spending enough time with my kids? You know, am I, am I doing too much away from my kids? So I try to focus weekends on my kids. But one day I was like, I, t- I asked my kids, I said, hey, do you guys think um, mommy should stop Lab Rascals? Do you think I spent too much time on Lab Rascals? And they were like, no, we love Lab Rascals. Aww. They said all the kids will be so sad. They said, just quit your other job. What <laughs> <laughs> <Forget> about, <laughs> you know, your 20-year career? Yeah, no, and, and they're funny. Like they always say, like we retiring next year, right, mom? They actually, they actually say we. They're like we retiring next year, right, mom? And I'm like, yes, yes, we're retiring next year. Oh, so, um, I, I, I definitely like if I if I could name all of my mentors, it would be insane. Um, I have so many mentors and supporters that. I can't even name all of them. It's so amazing. That is so wonderful. And clearly your next duty is to write a book on how to pick a husband who's down for you and have have kids who are just as down. Um, (laughs) So let's talk about the lessons that you've learned. You know, the lessons you've learned on this journey. It's been, it's been, everything seemed to have moved so quickly from January, 2020 until now for you and the, and where the company is. So, um, I know that the company merges in a way STEM, diversity, equity, equity and inclusion, and also fun, you know, making learning exciting. So what lessons have you or what's the biggest lesson that you've learned about serving customers when it comes to merging all three of those things into one brand? And does it ever get complicated? Um, I don't think it is complicated. I'd say the, the biggest lessons that I learned um, just as a business person like um, is don't wait for perfection, just do it and then, you know, revise, iterate. Um, but just, I feel like so many business people, they constantly push the ball down the road because they, they want to have the, they just want everything to be perfect, you know? Um, yeah. And I never did that. I just was like, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. And then that's why we get better and better and better. And we listen to feedback, like from parents, from rascals. And just being open to feedback and not being so um, bogged down to your idea of what something is and let it be, you know, whatever it is. And it, it sometimes it gets so far away from your initial idea and you just have to be willing to to accept that and just yeah. accept that feedback, negative and positive feedback. Um, and I'm very open to to feedback just in life, at, in, my, in my day job, in Lab Rascals. So I'm never going to be like, well you don't know what you're talking about. This is the way it should be. I'm like, okay, so, so why do you think we should do it that way? So, you know, and and I'm willing to, to change. And I do that with my team too. A lot of times the people on my team come to me with the best ideas. And a lot of times that's their area of genius. So even though I'm the CEO, that doesn't mean I have all the ideas and all the answers. Yes. Um, It's the team effort, you know, (laughs) definitely. And from a, like interacting with customers, Um, I would say the biggest thing for me is transparency. I just, I'm just actually always myself. I'm always very transparent um, with them, like no matter what's going on, you know, if we make a mistake, I'm transparent about it. 
um, whatever, you know, growing pains, if we're having any, I'm just a very, very transparent person um, and just not try to, you know, pretend that we're something we're not. We're growing, we're growing really, really fast. But even I'll get in a pitch call and people would think that, you know, we've been around like 15 years or something and they'll see our product and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I'll, they're like, so, you know, they'll ask me a question and I'll just be very transparent. Like, you know what, this is a new market we're trying to get into. So we're looking for feedback from you on the product, you know, um, and just being transparent when most people wouldn't kind of want to share those cards with, with, you know, possible um, clients. Yeah, that's awesome. And speaking of feedback, um, this next question is, I would love for you to give some feedback to the world. Um, What is the world taking too long to realize when it comes to the way that we educate children and how are you changing that? Oh my gosh, boundaries. Um, (laughs) I feel like the world is taking so long to realize that kids don't have a ceiling. There's no boundaries. There's really no such thing as, you know, we can't teach them this until they're this age or this until they're this age. Our program is K through five. We have kids from five to 11 and we're teaching them the same thing. And just based on that particular child, what they're retaining and how how far in depth they go is up to the child. Um, so we have some five year olds that if you looked at your traditional school system, they probably are on the same level as a sixth grader. And then you have, you know, some kids that if you look at the traditional school trajectory, you know, they may be in third grade, but, you know, they're, you know, doing the reading or the understanding the level of the third grader. Um, But I just don't personally like that we kind of feel like learning is based off what they can remember or what they can prove to you they know. Mm -hmm. Um, I think learning is more about curiosity. So I get more excited when we do a lab and a kid tells me, you know, they come back the next day or the next lab and they're telling me something they did after the lab to learn more about what we were talking about. So, for example, if we're going over glucose molecules and then a kid come back like, yeah, I just looked up glucose versus fructose and the molecules are different. That is learning to me. Yeah. <laughs> so learning is not like that they memorize that glucose is the same as sugar. Um, learning is more about them being curious and how curious they could be. And that's to me, how you, how I measure success of lab rascals. Did we encourage kids to be more curious about STEM than they were when they got here versus were we able to hold their attention for an hour? Yes. Yes. Curiosity did not kill the cat guys. Curiosity (laughs) changed the world. So can you recall a time where a child's words changed your life forever? And if so, what was said? Um, Absolutely. So a a child, this is a a member, a younger member of my family. I remember she was probably seven and she's, I said, you know, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said nothing. And I had never heard a kid say they don't want to be anything. Wow. And I was like, what do you mean? Nothing. She was like, well, I'm not good at anything. And I was like, why would you think you're not good at anything? And she was like, well, no one ever told me I was good at anything. And it just broke my heart. Um, oh, goodness. 
And I just started, you know, asking her, like, what does she like? Does she even like playing video games? Like, you know, and I just started telling her, like, you know, if you like playing video games, you could be, you could make your own video games. Do you like drawing? You can be a graphic artist, like just kind of building her up and just telling her how beautiful she is and how smart she is. So um, I'm really, really big on just boosting kids' confidence at a young age um, and just so they don't have those issues as they grow up. Because like I said, I think confidence can get you so far in life. (laughs) So I think like that kind of, I had just never, ever heard a kid say they don't want to be anything. I just never, like, er, like I typically my kids may even say they want to be a dinosaur, you know, something (laughs) is not possible, but they have some type of imagination of what they want to be. So I just had never heard a kid say they don't want to be anything. And it just broke my heart. And I just never forgot that. That is unforgettable. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad that you were there to, you know, I'm, I, I know how important it is, especially, you know, when I was a child, you know, when you were a child talking about Mr. Harris to have that one adult that speaks to you and that changes your perspective on yourself in the world. So um, speaking of uh, changing your perspective on things, what was the, what is the best advice that you've ever received? Hmm. I think the best advice for me personally that I ever received was, um, and I tell this to my kids all the time now, it's like, it doesn't matter what other people think of you. What's important is what you think of yourself. 100. Um, And that was like one of my, really my best friends. She, her mother had always told her that. And I just never forgot that. And anytime, you know, I feel like I made a bad decision or I'm beating myself up over something. I just, um, I just really think that. And then kind of, and, the second part of that, that I tell my kids all the time, I tell them never, ever, ever speak badly of yourself. Not even in your head. Don't speak badly of yourself. Absolutely. Words matter. Thoughts matter. How you feel about yourself matters. <laughs> yes. and this is yes. the final question. What do you believe is the best advice that you've ever given? Ooh, I think that's the best advice I've ever given too. I, I, I think um, never think bad of yourself. Never think bad of yourself. Um, what you did or what you're going through don't think that of yourself and just know that um decisions don't like you can like I tell my children all the time like I never label them like even Mm -hmm. if I catch you let's say if I catch you not telling the truth I'm not going to call you a liar yeah that's defining you I'm going to say I don't like when you lie Right. I I always talk about the action versus the person. Um, And I just always want my kids to know, like, you know, believe in yourself. Don't talk bad about yourself and just be confident that you can do do anything, you know. So I feel like that's kind of I just feel like with those things, you could just get so, so far in life, just believing in yourself and not being impacted by what other people have to say or think about you if you believe in yourself. Yeah. So there you have it, guys. Believe in yourself. Be confident. You heard it from Club Lab Rascals CEO's mouth and they're doing great things. So thank you so much, T, for joining us today. And can you let listeners know where they can get in touch with you, get in touch with the company? 
Uh, yes, absolutely. So you can get in touch with us at info at clublabrascals.com. That's info at clublabrascals.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Club Lab Rascals and on Facebook, um, Club Lab Rascals One. Awesome. Awesome. And you're doing you're doing some um, really cool things as far as how the company is growing. Could you talk about um, I know you have a membership. Is there any other thing that you're offering to, to families or schools? Um, definitely. So we have a membership program because our space in our live camps, which are monthly, is very limited um, and <laughs> they sell out pretty fast and it just doesn't work with everyone's schedule. Kids are getting back into other events now. Um, so we have an on-demand program where your kid can log on and they can get all the fun of Lab Rascals on your own time. And you will get every month, you'll get a new one. Or you can just like, if you're really interested in our chemistry camp, you can just go sign up for just the chemistry camp or the space camp or the genetics camp or, you know, whatever one you were interested in. And um, we also would love, love, love to hear from schools as we we have a full curriculum and we have a way that schools can standardize their STEM education. So instead of it depending on which teacher you have and kind of not knowing what that STEM journey is going to be, um, if you bring lab rascals to your school, you can have a full six-year journey, K through five, for your students that is really easy to execute and implement in person and virtually. We've proven we can do both. And you, your educators do not need a background in STEM to bring this into your classroom. Um, so we would love, love to hear from schools if you are interested in having Lab Rascals at your school. And if you're a corporate partner and you're interested in funding um, our program, for a school, sponsoring a school, because a lot of schools we've met with, they really, really want our program, but they don't have a lot of funding. Um, so if you're interested in funding this program in a school, you can contact us. Or if you're interested in um, offering Club Lab Rascals membership to your employees as an employee benefit, those are all the ways that you can bring Lab Rascals into your community so that we can increase the pipeline and system that's going to make us be the best problem solvers going forward. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for sharing that with us, T. You know, T left us with believe in yourself, have confidence and know that there are no boundaries when it comes to what children can accomplish. I'm going to drop the information about how to get in touch with the company and all that T has just talked about in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. And T, thank you so much for lending your time, your wisdom, your humor and everything to us today. Um, thank you. Thank you, Mariah. This was great. <laughs> okay, thanks. Have a great day. Okay. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. So what'd you think? How will you take what you learned today on the Ed Gap Evolution podcast to make sure that more children and families know that they have more options for building a magnificent future? If you like what you heard and want to get notified when the next episode goes live, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll notify you when the next episode is out. Don't forget to check the show notes where I share information on today's guests. And yes, we do have a website. You can always pop in on us at www.eggapevolution.com. Again, I'm Mariah Phillips, and I leave you with this. Embrace the evolution, y'all.